Good morning, man. It is so good to see you guys here with us. Uh, if this is your first time, once again, we just want to say welcome. My name is Aaron. I'm the lead pastor here, and we are right in the middle of our foundation series where you're getting to hear the vision, and today you're getting to hear the mission of what we believe God is calling us into as a church. But listen, it is just so good. So good to see you. I just want, let's have a little fun. Let's just look at the person sitting next to you and say, hey, it's good to see you today. Come on. There we go. Now look at the other person and do the same. Say, hey, it's good to see you today. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, we are just honored today that you would decide to come and be here. And man, we are just so excited today to get to share with you this word, to share with you what believe what we believe that God is calling us into and how you can play just an incredible role in that. And I just want to encourage you, would you just pray with us one more time this morning as we go into God's Word. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we are grateful, God. We are thankful today, Lord, to be in your house. And Lord, we come preparing and believing, God, that you are going to speak to each and every one of us. Lord, we pray that your Word would come alive, God, that the Word would impact our lives today, and that the Word would ultimately move through us to impact this community in which we live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. After the great fire of 1666 that leveled London, the world's most famous architect, Christopher Wren, was commissioned to rebuild St. Paul's Cathedral. One day in 1671, Christopher Wren observed three bricklayers on a scaffold. One crouched, one half standing, and one standing tall, working very hard and very fast. To the first bricklayer, Christopher Wren asked the question, what are you doing? To which the bricklayer replied, I am a bricklayer. We see the second bricklayer, he responded and said, I am a builder and I'm building a wall. But the third bricklayer, the most productive of the three and the future leader of the group, when asked the question, what are you doing? He replied with a gleam in his eye. He said, I'm a cathedral builder. I'm building a great cathedral to the Almighty. What we hope for the church and for your life is to see that that all that you are doing, that all that is a part of your life is amounting to something that is beautiful, something that lasts, something that stands And by beautiful, we mean not just something that is pleasing simply to the eye, but but as we notice in this this little metaphor here, in this little story, is that the third seen what the cathedral ultimately represented. He's seen what each block that he was laying was leading to and building up to, and it represented to him the impact that it would make for generations to come. You see, deep within each and every single one of us, is this calling to be a part of or to build something that lasts, that has impact, that fulfills purpose beyond ourselves, and that ultimately leads to change. Last week, we got to talk about the vision of the church. And the vision is to make Jesus the foundation of every home for generations to come. And we had you go underneath what is seen to actually inspect, what is the foundation of your life? What are you building your life upon? And then we challenged you to to make a decision, to make a choice, to build your life upon Jesus. And today, we're shifting our focus. We're finally looking at what is above. 
We're finally looking at what is seen. Today we're shifting our focus to what does it look like to now build upon that foundation. If you have your Bibles with you today or your phone, uh, we're going to have them up on the screen. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and this will be the core verses that we're going to be looking at. But we're also going to look at what's before and what's after. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 11. We're going to read these together. It says in verse 9, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. In our verses here, we're seeing, once again, this affirmation of one foundation, and it challenges us to take care, take care of how we build upon that foundation. Now, before we even start about building, I wanted to address some of the challenges. If anybody has been a part of building anything, that you will understand that it doesn't always go according to plan, that there are challenges that will come our way, that there are challenges that we must overcome in order to build something that is beautiful. And oftentimes, here's what we expect. We expect the challenges to come from the outside. But in our story today is that we're actually going to find that the challenges that we have to watch out for most as a church will actually come from within. And so let's look first at what some of the challenges are. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to step into the context just a little bit here to be able to see. You see, Paul, he planted the church in Corinth. He planted the church, and he spent 18 months with this church, building them up, teaching the God word, God's word, seeing people come to know him, see, seeing people come to actually believe. And for 18 months, he devoted his life to this church in Corinth. But like most letters that Paul writes, they are words of encouragement, but there's also normally words of like, like, like there's something wrong here. Like I'm hearing something. He starts like really kind and really loving, just like, you know, our parents may do. And then it's like, but, but we have to address this one thing. And what we find here, as we'll see in the beginning of chapter 3, verse 1, is that, that they weren't quite unified that there was something that was creating disunity among the church. Let's see what it was. In verse 1, it says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infant in Christ. It says, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Once again, I'm going to read that verse one more time. It says, For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord, as, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, 
and each will receive his wages according to his labor. And once again, that verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Now notice I said that they weren't unified. But I want to bring up this point that the Corinthians here, I don't even say they were unified. I'm not even going to say that there was division really, but they were distracted. They were distracted. And he says, not only are they really distracted, but they're not spiritual. And what was the distraction for the church in Corinth? The infants in Corinth, they were fighting over which preacher was the greatest. You can see this group almost like if you're on a playground and you're fighting with your brothers or your friends over whose dad is the strongest. It's like the same thing. They're fighting over which one is the greatest. Is it Paul? Is it Apollos? Or is it Peter? And then they were connecting themselves to these preachers, and then as if to connect with one was greater than the other. And you can imagine they weren't one unified body, but almost three different groups of people, all centered around who they claimed that their preacher and their leader was. They weren't unified. They weren't unified. We see, what is the greatest hindrance of the church? When we talk about building something beautiful, and we talk about building something beautiful even in your home, in your life, what is the greatest hindrance? What is the greatest challenge that you must overcome or that you have to strive for? It is unity. Disunity is the greatest tool of the enemy. He wants every single one of us in this room not to be unified, but to actually have disunity, have division among us. Now, what's funny enough is that what is actually one of Jesus' greatest prayers that he laid out for the church? If we go in John 17, he says these in these verses. He says, I do not ask these only, but also for those who believe in me, through their word, that they may all be one. Keep count. There's the first one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Jesus is saying that the greatest way in which the world knows that you're you're his disciples is whether or not you are one, whether or not you are unified. What we're building as a church, listen, it can only stand. It can only last with unity. And disunity among Christians is one of Satan's greatest tools. He wants to divide us. He wants to keep us in this disunified. And this happens to both both the church and the home. And so I'm making this point today is that really what we're seeing in this text, I think it's the same context, is that disunity, it distracts. Disunity, it distracts. Now, Let's just kind of take this home, okay? Do you remember like maybe the first time that you, or like the first month of marriage and you're filling up the kitchen and you begin to then have these conversations with your wife about where do certain things go? Anybody remember this conversation? There was one thing that me and my wife kept talking about. Where do the cookie sheets go? Where do they go? Anybody, where do you put your cookie sheets? Well, this is what's fun, is that I grew up with the belief that cookie sheets go in a cabinet. They slide into a cabinet. You can even get like one of those cool little stands for it. Well, my wife grew up with this belief that cookie sheets, they go in the oven. Any oven people here? Yes, you're crazy. You're crazy. That's right. 
And I remember that this was one of those disagreements because I do all the cooking in the house. And I, nothing would infuriate me more than whenever I turn on the oven only to find a cookie sheet that has now been preheated to 375 degrees. And I would say, cookie sheets don't go here. And she would say, yes, they do. Where else do they go? In the cabinet. Needless to say, we have hit a compromise. Cookie sheets are now in that drawer under the oven, and there is one that stays in the oven. It's so funny. I want to make that, that look at it. It's crazy. Every single one of us, whenever we come into a church, is that you're coming in with your past experiences and your past beliefs. And every single one of us has different beliefs and different experiences that we bring into the church. Now, here's what is incredible, is that does it at all matter where the cookie sheets go? You got to put them somewhere, right? So it's an important conversation, or at least it's a conversation to be had. But does mine and Emily's marriage stand on whether or not the cookie sheet goes in the oven? I hope not. I hope not. And the same is so true with, with the church, is that each and every single one of us, we are going to come in with different different ideas about what the church should look like, different, I'm going to call it preferences or different beliefs that we have just continued to establish over the course of our life. And these things that we will continue to talk about aren't necessarily bad to talk about, but here's what ultimately you find with the Corinthian church is that what they were talking about did not matter. And so the greatest thing about the, the way the enemy works is that he isn't necessarily, he, may, he really wants to crush the church and he wants to divide the church, but there's these subtleties that he works in. He says, well, if I can't divide it or if I can't bring it down, I'm just going to keep the church distracted. And here's what I'm going to distract them with, like the color of carpet or the color of the chairs or how much light we have. Or maybe, maybe what a logo looks like. Or whatever, and you'll fill in the blank with whatever you're bringing into the church. And these little distractions will continue to lead and drive all of the conversations that we end up having. And so the challenge that we have as a church is to step in and to fight these distractions that are keeping us focused on things that really don't matter. And so what destroys unity in a church what destroys you, it's whenever these things become to be greater than what we have been called to do. And it's crazy because bitterness will begin to creep in, fights will begin to creep in, then all of a sudden you begin to have packs that begin to go, and then it's like two packs begin to fight, and then before you know it, there is like the enemy just laughing at like, it worked. They are completely distracted from what I've called or what God has called them to do. Let's just keep adding fuel to the fire. And so here's where I want to get us to is that when we are distracted, what, what destroys you? It robs us, not being unified. Listen, it robs us of our joy and distracts us from the glory of Jesus and the mission. And when we are not unified, the mission cannot thrive. The mission actually cannot even happen. And so listen, God, I'm going, this is going to be a great statement. And this is like marriage advice one. Listen, God understands. And in your marriage, we will understand is that you will not agree about everything. That's like marriage tip one-on-one. You will not agree about everything. And so God is calling us 
He says, I understand that there's going to be disagreements. I understand that you are going to be coming with these different beliefs and expectations. But he has this call for us to accept our differences in love and in grace. He says, not only for our joy and well-being, but because this will be our witness to the world. How beautiful is that? That the world may know Jesus by a unified mission and a unified body of people. We are all created as diverse individuals, and that is beautiful. But we're to lead a life worthy of our calling, for we have been called by God. Now, the Corinthians, they were proud of their church. They were even proud of their leaders. And this is really cool. But there's another problem that this created for them. This this attitude of being puffed up as if like, hey, I'm a follower of Peter. Or I'm a follower of Paul. As if there was like something incredible about that. And puffed them up. And it was dividing the church. Here's what's incredible. is because it was man that was receiving praise, not God. They were more concerned about praising the one that led them to Jesus than praising Jesus himself. And so here's where the second tension that we'll find as a church is that our praise elevates. Our praise elevates. Think about this in your home. What do you talk about the most? What do you talk about the most? And you can say, who do you talk about the most? And I had this conversation in my, or no, conversation in my head. That's weird, isn't it? I had this conversation, but I was like, who do I talk about the most? And you can go through the course of your week and you're like, what are the things that we continue to talk about? And here's the things. The things that you continue to talk about will be the things that you elevate in your life. And so whenever we talk about this in the church, it's like, who will we continue to elevate? It's not me. It's not, it's not the good works that we've done. It's not the name Foundation Church. And it's the same in your home. Could you imagine us as a church that the greatest thing that we elevate, the thing that we give the most praise to is God? That in the same way in your home, could you imagine, just take this little toll over the next week, how many times do you say the word Jesus and how many times do you say the word God? Not in a bad way, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I know, it's okay. We'll forgive you for that. What would that look like? What would that look like? Oh, man be incredible, wouldn't it? In every single moment of every single day, you have your son with you and say, man, God sure is good. We had some friends, they just recently got pregnant and, and we're celebrating the news that they're going to have a baby girl. And, and in that moment, we're like, hey, congratulations. But there was this subtlety within the conversation where we just began to proclaim and begin to praise and say, God is good. Elevate. Our praise elevates. And we can see in the Corinthian church, they were elevating man more than they were God. And so this is our second challenge is what will we elevate as a church? They were emphasizing personalities when they should have been glorifying Christ. Now listen, Paul, Paul's words, they affirm his position. He is speaking to them. He says, listen, I am the planter, I, but I am really just a servant. I'm not masters, that we are all here as a church. There's these words that are proclaimed that we are God's fellow workers. And here's what's incredible. And this is so important for us as we go forth. Whenever we proclaim, when we elevate what we praise, is that we have to continue to recognize that all of the fruit that comes from our hard work, for all the work that we do in the church, from the mission of this church, that we do not pretend that it was us that created the growth. 
But if we notice in these verses, this is so important for us as we go forth that God, that God gave the growth. That God gave the growth. Listen, my grandfather is 83 years old. He's going to be 84 years old in July. He has lived, this is wild, on the same hill in eastern Kentucky for 83 years. For 83 years. He hasn't moved, hasn't gone anywhere. The same hill. And that's what it's called, like homesteads. You know what I mean? Like he, he literally built right next to his parents. And for that time, for, for over 60 years, he has been right there. And every single year they have built a garden. And it's the most beautiful garden you could ever imagine. I'm talking, he's 83 years old. He's already got it plowed. He's already got like 100 plants ready to be planted into the soil. He preps it. He prepares it. I mean, he just gets after it. He puts in the work. And after he plants, you'll see him toil at 5 a.m. every single morning. He'll beat the heat, and he's out there pulling weeds. He's out there. He's probably killing a few deer, just to be honest, just taking them out. And whatever other critter comes his way, he's looking at the, you know, the worms that may come in and try to steal the fruit. He's doing everything in his power to protect what has been planted. But he is not a fool. He knows that, yes, he has to work. He knows that, yes, he has to toil. He knows that, yes, he has to protect, that God has given him a place and a part to play in the mission and even in the field, but he is not a fool because he knows that he does nothing to make that little seed begin to grow. And some of you today, that's a little tension in all of our lives whenever we begin to say, I made this grow. Maybe in your home, in your business, they said, I'm the one that made this grow. Once again, elevating what you praise. And so as we go forth as a church, this is something that we are going to see God do. In an incre- We're going to see God do some incredible, incredible works. But let us not be fooled. Yes, we worked. Yes, we toiled. Yes, we put sweat and tears into this mission. But it is God who gives the growth. Everybody say, God gives the growth. That's what I'm talking about. Could you imagine That's the perspective. We elevate God. We give Him praise. We give Him praise. Here's what's incredible is that God can do infinitely more than we could ever imagine in Carter County. And God could do it with or without us. But here's what's beautiful is God has chosen you and me to be a part of this mission. And so as we begin to work and as we begin to do what God has called us to do, may we constantly be reminded that it is by God's grace, and Paul speaks to it right here, that it is by his grace that I am even a part of what you are doing. And as we see growth throughout this county, as we see spiritual lives begin to change, may God be the one that we elevate. So let's switch gears just a little bit. We see with the challenges. Those are just two. There's many other challenges that we will face. But now we've addressed the challenges. Let's look at how we are to build. How are we to build? Well, let's look at verse 10 through 16. He says, According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. And if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. 
If anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And in verse 16, we close our text. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? That is good. That is a good word today. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? How are we to build? With unity, with humility, but we see two, two more points here is that on the right foundation and with the right materials. I don't know anybody that will choose to build a house and use poor materials. I don't know anybody that chooses to do that. If you are looking to build a home, you want the best materials. Why? Because you want it to last. And you don't want to build on a shaky foundation. You want to build on a firm foundation, on the right foundation. These two things should make sense to us. And so there's a call here. How are we to build? We build intentionally. We build intentionally. Listen, I don't think anybody here in this room is like, hey, I'm ready to build a house. And you are like ready to build something ugly. Nobody was like, hey, like how, I, I specifically wanted to just not make this look very good. Nobody says that. My granny and papal, they had some ugly stuff in their home. I think it was just that time. But like nobody says, hey, I want their pink and green tub. Nobody wants that. Nobody is choosing consciously to do it. And so as we choose to build, we're building intentionally with things that are beautiful, things that last, things that make a difference. And so we see here that first we must build on the right foundation. And this foundation determines the size, the shape, and the strength of what is being built above. And it's affirmed that no other foundation can be laid. That's like last week's message. No other foundation can be laid. You can try, but we said there's either two foundations. There's either the rock or there's the sand. And there's only one that will last. And this foundation is laid by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. His incarnation, his divine nature, his instructions, his example, his atonement, his resurrection, and his ascension. And that by him, men may be saved. You may be saved. I may be saved. And so you build upon the teachings and who Jesus is. But then it says build with the right materials. There's two different types here. We see those that will last and those that will be burned up. And it's not hard to tell which one is which. You see, there's gold, there's, there's silver, there's precious stones. And these are permanent. They're beautiful, they're valuable, and they're even hard to obtain. But then there's the wood, hay, stubble. They're passing, they're temporary. Ordinary, even ugly, cheap, and easy to obtain. Two choices, two very different outcomes. And he is saying, take care of how you build and with what you build with. And so as we begin to pray about the mission of the church, uh, we see we want to be a part of something that is beautiful. We want to be a part of something that will last. We want to be a part of something that will transform our community. And thank God that he has allowed us to be a part of his church. And we begin to pray about what is the mission of this church. Well, here's an easy one. Every church has the same mission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we want to do that. But God has given us a unique ability to, to look at our context, look at our culture, and say, how do we fulfill that mission? 
And today I want to share with you the three aspects of the mission of Foundation Church. It all begins here at Foundation Church with an encounter with Jesus. We want you to encounter Jesus. This happens in your personal life. This happens together. But it all begins with an encounter with Jesus. See, the foundation we build upon is this truth, but the emphasis for your life to come is for you to come and know Jesus and commit your life to trusting him. And it often happens all throughout scripture with an encounter. And oftentimes this encounter was not what they expected. But once you encounter him, we believe you are forever changed. That he breaks through your perspective and beliefs. He opens your, your eyes. And what does this actually look like? Well, one of the first ways we see you encountering Jesus is just by opening up his word, by spending then time in prayer. And then we encounter Jesus. This is going to be a crazy point for you is that we encounter Jesus here every single week. Why do we gather on Sundays? Listen, it's not to hear just an incredible word, to listen to some incredible worship music. I understand. That's like a plot. I'm just kidding. No, no, no. Honestly. If you can change your perspective and see why do you come to church on Sunday is so that you may encounter the living God in a place where he dwells, where two or more are gathered in his name. There he will be also. And so if you come in with the perspective every single Sunday, not to just receive, but to encounter man. Do you imagine what your life would be like to come in every single day expecting to have an encounter with the living God? And we believe that through the encounters with him, that he will open your eyes and you will see clearly who he is and why he has come for you. This was Paul's heartbeat for the church in Corinth, that above all, they would mature in their understanding and experiencing Jesus. This is where it begins for every single one of us wanting to build a life that is beautiful, a life that has purpose, a life that lasts. The second one is to grow together, to grow together. What is ministry all about? For me, it involves loving, feeding, and discipling God's family so that his children mature in the faith and become more and more like Jesus. It is my role to serve you, to be your pastor. It is not master over you. It is servant to care for the soil, to care for your life, to, to, to feed, to help you pull weeds that may be choking you, but to give you God's word in spirit and in truth and allow that to begin to transform your mind. We do not want to be a church that is like the church in Corinth that spent 18 months with a leader, with a servant, and to still be called 18 months later, infants. We pray that we would grow. We pray that we would grow in understanding of who Jesus is. But here is a, here's a vital part, and this is my heartbeat, is that this happens together. You will grow in isolation, 100%. But isolation, that's a weird word sometimes. If you are encountering Jesus in his word, if you're encountering Jesus in prayer, you will continue to see fruit in your life. But this fruit that God has called us to is still a part of a community. You were designed not for isolation, but you were made for community. 
Why do we gather on Sunday morning so that you can encounter Jesus and so that you can begin to experience community? You can find your people. There are two things we tell the team is that you would be known and that you would be remembered. We continue to communicate this over and over. We believe growth doesn't always happen, that God is not wanting you to stay home. He's wanting you to find community and through that community find growth and find him in a deeper deeper way. I've been a part of a community for the last three and a half years that has radically changed my life. Radically. I've had people come in and love me and Emily at the most difficult times and the times when we need the most. And if you look at that entire community of where God has brought us from, from three years ago to where we are now, we have seen God move in our lives. We've seen our relationships grow with him. And so our passion is that you would grow and we would grow together that we will grow together. Listen, I got to speak on this one again. The enemy wants us to not be unified, but he also wants to isolate you. He wants to isolate you. It's unbelievable. I know, I know, if I don't see you in four weeks, there's probably something off. I know it. You may proclaim, oh, we're fine, we're good, we've just been busy, we've just been busy. No, we've made decisions that have led to this point. And there is over and over and over again a spiritual health that is connected with you being in community with other believers. And I know, I know, is that the enemy just wants to isolate you. He wants to keep you away from his people. He wants to keep you away from community. And as a church, we have to fight that with everything in us. This Friday night, we get a guy's night. I got beat in cornhole. It was terrible, terrible. I'm still bitter. Why do we meet? Because I believe that God, that the enemy is trying to isolate the men in our church. And if we can just get together, eat some tracer models and toss some cornhole, it's a little taste of community. A little reminder a little reminder that whenever life gets hard and life gets difficult and the enemy is attacking you, you are reminded that you are not alone. You are not alone. So we grow together. And then the last one, this is the last part, and then we're going to continue to worship here, is that we see God calling us to go outside of these walls. Man, it's beautiful how we are able to encounter Jesus here in this space, and we are able to grow in community here. But what is all of this for? It is to fulfill the mission in our community, to allow how Jesus has transformed us to then transform those around us. We are his fellow workers, and he has called us to be an outpouring to our community. Hebrews 13, 12 says, So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. We are called as a church to go outside of these walls and into the community. And here's what I firmly, firmly believe, is that God has given you a home. God has given you a street number. God has given you a place of which you live. 
for a reason and for a purpose. He has called you here to Carter County, Kentucky. He has called you here for Foundation Church for a reason and for a purpose. That your business is not an accident. That your job is not an accident, but it is a gift of God to use to continually show people who He is and how He loves them. And we see one of the central themes all throughout Scripture and even who Jesus is. He was a servant. He was a servant. And so as we continue to press forward in the mission of the church, everything that we do, we encounter Jesus, we grow together, but we are involved. We are outside of the walls of this church to meet the needs of our community. This is how I believe we can build something beautiful in Carter County. Putting Jesus as our foundation, being intentional with how we build upon it, to encounter Jesus in our personal lives and together, to to grow, to see our lives mature and to to do this together in community. And then to go out and to serve others and to meet the needs of those around us. God's up to something here in Carter County. And as we begin to pray about this Sunday for our team, I begin to give them a word. and, And I want to give you the same word here as we close. And as we go into a time of worship, I think this is the call. You know, first and foremost, if you do not know Jesus, then that's start one, to encounter him. It's where it all begins. There's this revelation where Jesus is saying that he is literally knocking at the door. He is knocking at the door and says, if you will allow me in, if you will open the door of your heart, I will come in and I will dine with you. And today, when you talk about how do you encounter Jesus, is that oftentimes we believe right now that God may be knocking at your heart and saying, hey, hey, I am ready to come into your life. I am ready to radically transform your life. I am get ready to give you hope, to give you love, to give you joy in your life today. And all you have to do is open the door. It is a decision that transforms your entire life. And is that that is you today? We're going to have our prayer team at the end of service that will be up here. And I encourage you to take the bold step after we have done worshiping at the very end before you walk out the doors to actually come up here and to be prayed for and to be encouraged and be uplifted in the decision that you have made. But here's where I want to get to is that the word I continue to give. And as we go into worship, this is the call. This is the call for every single one of us today is that you would not come into church just being cynical or maybe judgmental or having your preferences as you come in. But if you would just push all of that aside over the, just the next few moments, would you just have these words to say? Say, God, I wonder. God, I wonder. And this word wonder is awe. It is like, it's like God, I, you have created the universe. Like I cannot even imagine what you are going to do here in Carter County. You have been so good to me. You've been so good to my family. God, you have saved me. You have loved me. You have cared for me. God, I am just in awe of who you are. And God, I just wonder what you're going to do next. And I just want us as a church to just kind of have that in our hearts. Lord, we are just ready to be in awe to be in wonder of what you are going to do through us as we step out in obedience to be your church in Carter County. And we just pray, God, would you just do something that goes way beyond what we could ever imagine? And so here's the call. As a unified church, could we just take the next few moments as we worship and just be in awe and just begin to wonder, God, what can you do? And pray for God to do that. 
just do something beyond what we'd ever imagine or ever see. Would you stand and pray with me one more time? Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word today. God, we are thankful, Lord, that you are moving in ways that we cannot even imagine or believe, God. But we pray that over the next few moments that we would just be in complete awe of who you are. And Lord, that this will lead us to just have this incredible heartbeat for wonder. Lord, to have this heartbeat for God, what are you going to do next? Lord, how are you going to show up? God, how are you going to change this community? How are you going to change my husband's life? How are you going to change my daughter's life? God, how are you going to present yourself to him? God, I know you can. I'm just going to be in awe and wonder of your goodness and your mercy and your grace. See it transform those around us. Lord, may today we just be caught up in your wonder. In Jesus' name, amen.